Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week we have uh, Michael Simmons on the show. Michael has been a coach and a mentor for me on and off for about the past decade. Michael is a living example of a continual lifelong learner. He is a best-selling author. He uh, His articles get uh, viewed in the millions. He's uh, written for Time, Forbes magazine, Harvard Business Review, uh, hangs out with some pretty clever people. Uh, somehow I managed to get him on the show. Took us a few months to get there and it was really, really great to finally be able to have a really good conversation with him. We took around mental mod- models, habit forming, why energy management is more important than time management, uh, the 80-20 Pareto principle or Pareto effect uh, as one mental model. We talk about the hero's journey, uh, books he reads, podcasts he listens to, um, the importance of feedback loops and the importance of experimentation and doing things to learn and to test and to optimize, not just doing them to do them for the sake of doing them, and uh, how to carve out time to learn more. Um, and he talks about the five-hour rule. So just so chuffed to get Michael on the show. He's really, he is so, so well-learnt, well-read, and this will be an hour very, very well spent or, or, you know, 40 minutes if you're on 1.5 speed. But uh, tune in, listen to this one. As always, listen, learn, and most importantly, apply. So I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Okay, team. This week, I'm very excited to welcome a guest uh, on the show. Uh, His name is Michael Simmons. Michael, I would attribute to being responsible for a lot of my kind of uh, passion and love for learning. Uh, Michael has this wonderful, and we'll get into it, this wonderful rule called the five-hour rule. Um, He's got many, many uh, things that he's going to share with you. This is going to be an excellent show. No pressure, Michael. Um, And Michael's going to help us sort of like unpack mental models, biases. We're going to have a, cover a whole lot of things. I mean, this guy is a learning genius. Um, I've followed Michael for years. I've been very grateful for Michael's coaching and tutoring and mentoring, and it's just fantastic to finally get him on the show. So, Michael, welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here as well. Awesome. So, Michael, you're from New Hampshire in the States. Um do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Because, I mean, I can talk to you about being a best-selling author. You've written for Time, Forbes, Harvard Business Review. We'll put all your stuff in the show notes. We know you are come with huge credibility. But maybe just give the listeners a paint a bit of a picture about you, where you come from, what you've done, some of your achievements. Yeah, I'd say I've been a lifelong learner and entrepreneur. The turning point for me when I was 16 years old, and my friend and I, Cal Newport, we started a business, but we didn't know anything about business or web development, which is what our business was. But we realized a very important lesson that for everything that we wanted to do in the business, there had been someone else that had done it and written a book that was $15 that we can get it from. And so 20 years later and a few thousand books later, you know, I've continued to be an entrepreneur and also 
just go deeper and deeper into, okay, I'm going to spend so much time learning and it's so important. How can I do it better? Really study the field of learning, not just kind of read and see what happens. Yeah. Um, you're already being super humble. Uh, uh, the fact that you're a mate of Cal Newport's and I actually love his books, um, you know, so good. You, they can't ignore you and deep work. Um, talk to more like your learning journey, Michael. What? Let's start with what do you think the mistakes you see most people make when it comes to learning in this fast, frenzied, chat, GBT, AI world where everything's just changing so fast? What, is it, what, is it, what do you think some of the learning mistakes you see people make? I'm really interested in your answer. Yeah. Well, number one, I think most people who appreciate the value of learning that's a big step, but haven't actually become deliberate about it and thought about, okay, well, how does learning happen? How can I do it better? So just realizing that it is its own discipline that you can drastically improve at, you can get 10 times better at learning. So I think that is just one thing. And then once you get there, there's different things that, okay, well, a lot of people, they're almost like weekend warriors of learning, or I call hobby Hildas, where <laughs> they... You know, their friend recommends a best-selling book and they read it or they'll, they'll buy the audio book and then they'll forget it. You know, somebody asks them three weeks later about the book. They might not even remember the name of the book, that they read the book or, you know, what the book was about. So a lot of people have this experience of spending five hours on a book and then they can't remember anything about it. So there's ways of consuming a book. And the, and the second mistake there is a lot of times we go based off of the bestseller list. The problem is, a lot of what gives us an advantage when it comes to learning is actually having knowledge that other people don't have. So yeah. if something's a bestseller and everyone's heard it, it can give us best practices. They can maybe get us caught up, but it's not going to help us stand out. You actually want to find what's rare and valuable instead. I'm so Those glad you- two of many. I could rattle so- off many more. <laughs> so, I've been so excited to talk to you, Michael, because you are just huge on this stuff. And, uh, I love how you talked about rare value. Often people say, oh, you know, let's look for best practice. Often best practice is common practice. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Best practice is common practice. Yeah. Yeah. I look to read things that are number two that are number one that blow my mind. So if you're following stuff on social media, it's probably not going to blow your mind because social media sorts for what's most popular today uh, based on all the likes you've had in the past. So it's going to be a lot more incremental and stuff feels like stuff you've already heard before where when you're looking, you want your algorithm to be like, man, this is going to blow my mind. Like it's going to open me up to a whole different way of thinking. And no one else in my entire network has even know this fields exists or this idea exists. That's when I know I'm on to, to gold. Yeah. And we're going to get into blockbusters and all the thought leadership stuff that you do. And some of the training I think is you are exceptionally world-class at it. Michael, why, let's go back a bit why why are you so passionate about learning why have you set such a example a world-leading example to people of being a lifelong where did that learning pathway why did it start what was going on there what what triggered it because a lot of people don't want to learn a lot of people live in bliss and ignorance right you know they don't want to learn there's an abundance of information like what's the quote michael you're so much better at this than me my man, um, it's like it's not the, it's not the lack of information; it's the lack of wanting to learn, or something something like that. You know, like 
that quote, like there's an abundance of information out there, but it's the willingness to learn that's the problem, not the willingness of the information. I probably yeah, I, I can't remember that quote off the top of my head. We'll is, find it. Uh, we'll put it in the but, show notes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a few things that made it click for me. One is that really that first experience where you realize, okay, you could go figure everything out on your own through trial and error, or literally you could find the best person in the world ever that's figured it out. Nowadays, you know, a lot of those people have been on podcasts, they've recorded a TED talk or spoken somewhere. So you can really get the transmission for them for free or close to free. And then as you get better at applying it, you just see results in your life you couldn't imagine before. So once you connect it to the idea that anything you want in life, career, even not career, there's someone else that you could learn from and get that faster, then I feel like to me, it becomes a no-brainer. I think sometimes what people resist is it's in a format that is really intensive, that just feels like a ton of work, or whenever they put aside time for learning, they're tired as well. So it's hard to learn or maybe they're so there's ways to figure out those things as well yeah absolutely so if you had some so my guys and girls that listen to us they probably know they want to read more learn more what would be some of your advice to them in terms of making and taking time to learn what is what has been some of the most useful things that you've taught your students and you've taught many in your cohorts about um cultivating a learning habit in your life yeah well there's a few different ways to look at it one is double time so you look at the things you already do and you think about how could you layer on this so you know it could be having friends that love learning it's great because then when you spend time around them you're talking about the things that you've learned and and that's just fun that's what that's fun for you you know walking the dogs is great time to i have the day one app where, and Voxer. So I have, I'm constantly sending voice messages to people on what we learned or ideas we're wrestling through. And also, if there's no, I try to have someone for everything I'm learning, like how to be a better parent, how to manage my emotions better, how to write better. I try to have people in my life that are learning that thing as well that would love to hear from me about how oh, I just read this book and here's what I learned and vice versa. So, yeah. That's one way is to integrate into your life. So it doesn't even feel like you're doing it. It just feels like you're living life. That's the easiest way, probably. Uh, and then, you know, of course, like driving in the car and listen to an audiobook or keep an audio journal. Then there's also setting aside deliberate amounts of time for it. And even then, one way to integrate it is to integrate it into your career. So to select projects that you're going to learn from or you get paid for learning. So for me, I picked, I went to writing, you know, I, I realized that my previous job, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, we were delivering speeches, an event, it was an event company on college campuses. We did, did over 450 half day conferences. I just realized that during the day, I just wasn't learning a lot because we were doing the same thing over and over as a company and it wasn't feeding my curiosity. So in this, you know, writing career, I really focused on, having a model where I'm constantly getting paid to learn. So it's not like I'm have to set aside time at the end of the day, like it is a core part of my day. Yeah. hundred, hundred. I'm really interested and curious a bit more around. I think everyone has good intents, a bit like going to the gym, right? You know, I'm going to go to the gym, 
Now, let's talk about habit forming. You know, you read so widely, Michael, and this is why I'm so excited to have you here talking and sharing your your wisdom, is how do you cultivate that learning habit? Because I think everyone has the best intent and then the kids are noisy or they don't get down or that Netflix documentary looks really good, so I've binged that. I'm a bit tired, so I'm going to go to bed. Like, how do you – obviously, for you, you've del- you you are massive on deliberate practice, right? And, you know, I quote you a lot in terms of the O'Clay Plateau and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. People have busy lives. So how do you – how did you break through? Because you're a father. You're busy. You've got lots going on, lots of business interests. Your business partner, even Pagan, you've got lots and lots of stuff going on. How do you create the habit? How do you create the space? Like maybe let's talk about the five-hour rule. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to preempt you. Well, actually, I will just add one more thing. So I mentioned double time before, Mm -hmm. like stretching your life, setting aside structured time. Another way is just every time you do something, try to do it a little bit better. So before you jump into it, like for me as a writer, I want to work on, okay, I have this article I'm trying to finish. Okay, what is the skill I want to work on as I'm trying to finish it? And then at the end, looking at, okay, where did I run to challenges? Like, okay, I had trouble, trouble structuring this. Okay, how could I practice the skill of structuring in the future? Who, who is good at this? So often we get into an okay plateau where we're doing the same thing over and over. And like, for example, with writing, people are focused on the production. Okay. Okay. I want to get this out. How could I get this out by this time? And they're only judging their success in that way. So where if you have an improvement mindset, you're not just thinking about your to-do list. You're thinking about your to, to improve list. And it just takes even five minutes after any work session to think about what went well, what didn't, what, what's a lesson I could learn. Sometimes you'll be it's amazed. Like it's the equivalent of you're running to the same challenge every day and it would literally take a tool that exists or just doing five minutes of rethinking about it. And then suddenly you're not running into this. It's kind of like the equivalent of I've experienced this with, home repair when something there's something's wrong and you just get used to it and then you don't even recognize it anymore but it could be it could just be like a new like type of light bulb or or something like that so it's a it's not just defining the time it's almost a, a different mindset that you're coming to your day with and in terms of getting to actually do it so one time is one step is finding the time but that's actually when you think about it's not the hard part because uh, there is time, I mentioned, like when you're driving, spending time with people, when you're doing chores around the house that exist. And there's different types of learning, not just absorbing information, but reflecting. And then yeah. I would say the other thing is energy and managing energy. Good. Because you don't have the energy and you have the time. You're not going to want, your mind is not, it's going to want to be lazy and it's going to want to relax. So that's another thing. And literally a lot of people are, sleep deprived or they're pushing themselves so hard that when they do have free time, they're just like burned out and want to, to, to zone out. So it requires a different sort of energy to be actually leaving time for learning. For yeah. And- Good. Michael, do you mind if I just jump in? Cause you've yeah. made such an yeah. important point there. Cause I think you put me on to, was it Tony Schwartz? Um, your power of full engagement, you know, there's a lot of books yeah, that you yeah. recommend that I read and, can you, for the listeners, because this is something that I train as well as part of the rural sales stuff that I do, is um, people look at me a, a bit weird when they go, actually, it's not about time management, it's about energy management. So can you can you back me up, my friend, and, and validate that for listeners? Because it's something that <laughs> I think is very, very important, because if you don't have the energy, you won't make the time, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And especially you might make the time, like listening to a podcast, but then you're not really actively doing deliberate practice and the hard work that will make you really improve. So I think the hard part about it is like, I think people intellectually understand, okay, I need energy to do certain things. I think the hard part about it is to make that energy, you're going to have to pull from somewhere else typically. And that might mean doing less actual work in a given day and doing in return for something, the productivity improvement may not show up right away, but over your entire career, it can make a huge difference. So that means taking a longer term perspective where you're, you're, you're sacrifice, sacrificing maybe a little bit of daily progress to make a huge amount of life progress. Yeah. Compound effect, right? Compound effect. Yeah. But I mean, remember you put me onto Charlie Munger's, um, Charlie Munger's Alamac, which is a beast of a book. <laughs> I even sent a copy to dad in the UK. Like I could use it as a weapon for any burglars. You know, it's a, it's a wallop of a book, but a wonderful, wonderful book. And we'll get into the lattice work and the mental models in a minute. But what I want to ask you is like um, the it's removing friction, isn't it? You know, and like you say, being fully present to absorb the learning, reflect on the learning. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, being fully present. I feel like I've really learned that a little bit more over time as well. That's a, I feel like there's an intellectual part. That for me, it came very naturally to be intellectual. I also think yeah. there's a huge emotional and embodied part to it, which to me would have been foreign concepts in the not too long ago. But number one, there's emotions attached to each stage of the learning journey that, uh, you know, when you're just starting out and you're a beginner, you may not see any immediate results of, at the thing you're doing for, for many months. So, and like you're completely, every, it seems like everyone's behind you. It doesn't feel like, it's hard to see your progress. So there's a emotion that kept it there. And then, then if you master something, there's also the emotion where you come across everything in a mindset and it just feels like you already know it. And it's like, there's a hesitancy to learn more in a way, cause you feel like you've got it. So, and there's you know, steps in between. So I think there's a emotional awareness is a big part of it. And yeah. then number two is just noticing you know, letting the body subconscious simmer on it and process the information as well. And there's active ways to do that. Yeah. So not, not just like letting them think about it, but actually actively incubating. It's interesting. I, I know this might be going down a rabbit warren. I'll, I'll just going to part. I'm going to preempt myself before I do that and annoy everyone. That instant gratification kind of, I want it now. I must have it now. Like everyone expects to go to the gym and get like six minute abs. And, you know, in a farming agricultural food production context that I live and work in is you can't rip the seed out the ground to check that it's growing. You know, like, you know, everything's happening under the surface. Mm, I like that metaphor. Under the soil, soil surface. So people come to me and say, Sinjin, I want you to train my team on sales and sales psychology they're not performing and they're like, you know, guys, they're not, it's like, we need to be looking for gradual stepping stones. We need to see certain behaviors, which will then lead to a process, which will lead to performance. And so you were saying the same thing is like, why is it that so many people give up and how do we cultivate this sort of patience more long-term? I mean, you, you're in this privileged position, very 
very hard earned I met Ed. I think Michael is a very, very hard worker. I've seen it just by his sheer volume of production of your content, which is obviously the highest quality. You know, this is why you are a bestseller and you know, you your articles get millions of views literally and we'll we'll provide show notes to some in the end. But why is it that we as a society, we we just want things straight away and this instant gratification and we're not willing to de- delay that gratification to get that actually hockey stick, hockey stick reward. Compounding. Yeah. My personal theory and, you know, informed, but is that, you know, as humans, we're just really good at understanding short term, very concrete things that, and it makes sense from a survival perspective to react in things and your shorter lifespan. But uh, we're not very good at thinking about things that are intangible. Like we're not sure if it's happening or not. It's happening over years or decades. And there's a lot of things that will like exercise. You know, if you exercise regularly, you could literally live seven years longer. But still, when you show up to the gym every day, you're tired. You have, you're busy. The other stuff you could be doing, you're not going to, you know, seem younger when you work out. So it almost requires like, tricking your body and reminding yourself that, okay, I'm doing this for the long term. This is compounding. And, and one thing I'd also say that's a key part, you mentioned that patient stage is learning to celebrate all those little victories. At yes, first, it might sound a little bit corny to, to do mm. that because you know, mm. people who are successful sometimes are very hard charging and like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, and, but if you don't see the progress, you're not feeling progress. It's really hard to continue doing everything. So just recognize all the little things you're doing and actual progress you are making. It's kind of like the iceberg analogy. Use this yes. one, but like most of the iceberg is below water. And if you can yeah. notice those little improvements to the iceberg underwater, that's actually a skill. Yeah, 100%. And I'm super flattered. This is my ego talking, Michael, but I saw you write down my uh, seed and soil metaphors. I'm, I'm, expe- I'm, <laughs> I'm, expect- thinking, I'm taking notes as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm expecting to see that in your next Harvard Business Review, like multi-million dollar view. Not, not to be a tribute. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling your leg, my friend. Um, now, there's so much I want to talk to you about, uh, and we have a limited amount of time that I want to respect with you. But like this whole concept, there are rural marketers here and the people pumping out content, myself included, and you've helped me and I've got better and I'm I'm on a learning journey. I'm a work in progress like anyone and, and you're on a different trajectory, right? And this whole kind of concept of content creation and thought leadership and blockbuster content, could you kind of like talk about what the problem is and then some of the solutions and the tools and techniques that you use and teach and train? Because we can obviously, for those that are interested in this, they're going to reach out. Yeah, I'd say a few things. Number one, you know, many fields, increasingly our online reputation is our reputation. When people are looking to make a decision about who to go with, they naturally Google them and see their website. They look at the reviews and then they look at their content and see from the content, you can kind of really tell a lot about who someone is, how they think. And so that's, I'd say, one reason why content is really important and not just the business content, but the individual content because people don't just buy from businesses, they buy from, from people. Yes, and, and then the question is, how do you stand out in this really busy world mm. that's just pretty recent where literally you had billions of people 
creating content, like over a billion people a day, I think is it is like videos. And some of those people are pretty good. Like they learn, they know how to create these really appealing. Mr. Mr. Beast, Mr. Mr. Beast's quite good. He's got pretty good. <laughs> exactly. You have 23 year olds, you know, spending a million dollars per, per well-produced video. So how do you compete? So I really believe in this blockbuster philosophy. And I think it's even more true now in this world where AI is creating content. It's safe to assume, I think, as a informed prediction, that 99.9% of content in the next five years online will be AI generated with wow. the assistance of a human. So it's just enabling people to create way more content. So it's going to be mm-hmm. way more noise. And while that amount of content's increasing, our attention spans remaining the same. So there's not, not more than 24 hours in a day. So our attention is going to go somewhere. And generally, given the option between good content or great, the best content ever written on topic, people are going to go to the best content. And you know, tons of companies are, you know, when you think about social media companies, they're just trying to surface the best content or Google is trying to surface the best content. Mm. So in many ways, if you just create really good content that people pay attention to, that they enjoy reading, they comment on, share with other people, then the internet is designed to help that content succeed. Yeah, 100%. One of the gifts, well, one of the many gifts you've taught me over the time, Michael, when you train me is this whole idea of being counterintuitive or contradictory in your content. Would you like to unpack that a bit? Yeah, well, you you think about in the world, so we get something like 171,000 bits of information every second coming through all our senses and things like that. Yet we only are become aware of a very, very tiny bit of that. So in a way our brain is more of a focusing machine where it blocks out everything and to focus on a few things. So it's important to understand what is the algorithm that causes people to pay attention to those few things. One of those things is things that don't make sense. Like if you walk through that shouldn't be there or quite so, for example, if you walk through a forest and you see lots of trees, like you don't even you're not even picking up that there's trees because like that's where they should be. But if you suddenly see like you know four snakes coming at you very quickly, you're gonna see the like movements, even just a little bit of movement. You don't see them yet. You're gonna like have a huge startle response and start you know reacting. And so you could think about it similarly. You go into online and you're scrolling through a news feed of just images and titles and if there's something that you already know let's say you know you know you believe i don't know trees are green and then an article says trees are green okay well you're probably not going to read that because you already know that but if something's a little bit like it's backed up by authority and makes a really interesting statement that's a little bit counterintuitive you're like huh let me let me read more about that so that's an example of why counterintuitive is so important. And so another way of putting it is, is thought leader, you know, it's thought plus leader. And part of the way you become a leader is by finding areas where conventional wisdom is wrong and you have the right thing. And so that's another way of thinking about counterintuitive. Love it. Love it. And I know we, we won't go into great detail, but if people follow you, you'll, you'll, you'll unpack this even more. I love the fact because we're, we're, socially from a survival mechanism um why to detect difference 
So if we see something that's the same, we're going to ignore mm. it, right? It's like when we hear a different accent or someone comes into our gym class or into our cafe or into our world, we will we will territory scan. You know, that's our amygdala doing that thing. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Is you, if you want to stand out, you cannot say the same thing as everyone else. And I think safe being playing it safe for your content is the biggest risk. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, exactly. How do you mean safe? Oh, I mean like maybe corporates, like they just they won't take a position, they won't challenge. Um, and you know, when you look at the clickbait and the very, you know, we'll get into title testing in a minute, but like corporates are so it's so watered down by committee that when the content finally comes out the market, you just go, this is same old, same old. There's nothing different. There's no reward for me to read this because it's not teaching me something I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think content is more interesting when somebody stands behind a bold claim, backed up by personal experience or authority. They're not just trying to be salacious yeah. just to, to get clicks. That's innately yeah. really interesting. And vice versa, you can tell that somebody wades into something and they're just kind of, just like somebody's controversial to be controversial. Someone's being yeah. safe to be safe. They're purposely not saying what they actually think. Uh, yeah. you know, that's not fun to, spend time on yeah and i think if you want to be uh when you talk about if we unpack concept of thought and leadership you are being leaders are not leaders without followers and people are following your mm. thoughts aren't they because they like how you think and in this day where it's more cerebral or in professional services you're being paid for your strategy for your thinking like you and i is that they are interested in how you think and how you articulate your thoughts and how you make up your argument and most importantly and i love the caveat you put in there michael is you can't just have a rant there needs to be rationale there needs to be data i mean you 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 spend hundreds if not thousands of hours researching your articles don't you yeah you're probably on average it's high dozens of hours per article you know at first when i was learning about this blockbuster philosophy it was 30 hours when the average is one or two hours and i just think that unless you have really unique life experience or results where you can kind of just say like if you're a salesperson like i'm the best salesperson in new zealand at this listen to what i say that will capture people's attention but you can't expect to be like just a mediocre or a good salesperson and just expect that everyone wants to hear your latest thinking on things because there's a lot yeah. of good people doing stuff because there's a billion people are creating content so good is not enough to stand out yeah, I agree. And and you your you what you're uh, surfacing there is that winner takes all. That Pareto principle, the 80/20 rule which you yeah. talk about I mean, as a mental model like you know there are literally blockbusters of books and, and Michael is it the is it the Lindy effect? You know, timeless classic. Yeah. Something that's been around. Can you explain that for the listeners? Yeah, this is from Nassim Taleb. Uh, who's a, a I like his books a, a lot. And it's he just, did Black Swan this, and he also did Anti Fragility, Anti Fragile. Yeah. I? I read that during yep. COVID. I read Anti Fragile and it was probably the best book to read when <laughs> yeah, that's a really good form point. of COVID. I was like, holy moly. Sorry, please continue. So the Lindy effect is the pattern that of, for, for ideas or even tools that. The, ha the longer it's been around, the longer it will be around in the future. So there's more math 
yeah, I guess I'm giving the, the summary, but sure. you know, if, so, if a book just came out yesterday, then, you know, you can predict that like it's be around another day. If it's been around for 500 years. It can be, a, you can predict that's going to be around another 500 years. So I can predict that, you know, the spoon is probably going to be around for a while, something like that. Yeah. Uh, versus if I just create, Oh, I want to create this new way type of utensil. You know, it's hard to know how long it'll be around. And I think the linear no, I effect- find it helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You go. No, actually, no, you go ahead. Okay, so I was going to say when you're saying about the Lindy effect, the Dark and Argy, you know, how to win friends and influence people or Kobe with the seven uh, habits of highly effective people, those are Lindy effect books. They are bestsellers and they've been around. So I think what we're saying collectively for the listener as a gift is if you want to learn something, be really, really selective in your filters. And this Lindy effect principle that Michael's outlined here is a really, really important. You've got to follow people that have got um, – got that legacy got that tenure got that popularity got that following because they're not sort of one hit wonders there are you know i was watching star wars with my daughter and i was just you know that is lindy effect right and she loves watching it because of princess leah and i was like man like this is just and you know we haven't got time to talk about hero's journey and all the stuff but michael it's a segue to something i really want to talk to you about because it's it's something that maybe some listeners have got an understanding of but not maybe enough so this is Another reason why I wanted you on the show is, can you talk to me in layman's terms and define what we mean by mental models? Yeah. Well, one way of, of backing into it is that it's, a, it's an abstract uh, topic. So I going to say that up front. But a lot of times when people are learning things, they're learning things on a very surface level, like purely, okay, here's how to do XYZ hack, or here's the latest piece of data on XYZ. The problem is that a lot of times that data is fragmented and it's outdated by the time you see it or it's going to be outdated the next week. So your mental models are a category of knowledge that are a little bit more abstract and also uh, universal. So you can apply them in lots of different areas and more timeless. So one of the most examples of the most universal and useful ones is the 80-20 rule that in a lot of different domains, there's a pattern that 20% of the causes cause 80% of the effects. And this is uh, occurs for lots of reasons. One reason is feedback loops that let's say there's uh, a piece of content, you know, looking online, it's not going to be evenly distributed where it's a bell curve, the top content, People are going to recommend that one to their friends. It's going to appear higher on search Google and it's going to appear in the top three results, which means more people see it. And then algorithms are going to want to share the highest performing content. So there's a huge return for creating quality in that domain. So, but being aware of the 80 20 rule across domains, that's going to be just as valuable 20 or 30 years from now as it is for now. And you could apply it to your health. What are the 20% of things that cause 80% of the results? Or you could apply it to your productivity. What are the 20, what are the 80, 20? Or you could invert it. Who are the 20% of people that cause 80% of the pain in my life or some, something <laughs> like that? Uh, and, quite a lot of sales yeah. reps, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you ask sales managers, there'd be about two or three that are the 20% that cause the 80% of upset. Same with clients. 
please continue. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you don't realize it. You just kind of accept uh, these squeaky wheels in your life, or you're just almost going throughout your day, like everything is roughly equal when there's just one thing that's just way more important uh, for whatever you're trying to maximize. Michael, on that, because we were talking about energy and time management, what's the one thing you've done, the 80-20 that you've applied in your role, maybe for energy? Could we talk about that? Because you are a learning machine. You set a very, very high example. How do you manage your energy? What are some of the tools and techniques? What have been some of the 80-20s that you've done? Like the 20% of things you do in your rituals or your rules of life that are giving you 80% of your energy. Maybe you could help us. Yeah, really good question. Well, one thing is I really try to, you know, find habits that I love doing that there aren't extremely excruciating resistance so that I can actually be consistent. So over the past 12 years or so, I've gone to the sauna probably about five days a week, like, like clockwork. And if you buy that, remember we talked to in COVID and I think I've got a sauna and you, and I was like, why is this dude asking me like where to buy a sauna from? Did you end up getting a sauna at your house? I did. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I did. We just moved. So now we have to get, get a new one. But yeah, awesome. yeah, that was amazing during COVID. But what yeah. I love about the sauna is you can be really tired, like not feel like working out. And all you have to do is get into the sauna, which, and then once you're in the sauna, it's not hard at first because it's hot, but your body's takes 10 minutes for it to start to get hard. So as you start heating up, you just get more energy because your body is working. And so I, that's why I've done it is that, and I can also read in the sauna. There's no distractions. It's great to do at the end of the day. Then at the end of it, I do a cold shower and I try to just do 10 deep breaths in the sauna since I don't have the stopwatch. And that just feels so good. And I have energy after that. So I could go through a long day and like feel tired, feel anxiety. My mind's processing things. And after the sauna, I just feel like where time slows. Mm. And I feel present with what I, what I, where I am. Have you mentioned, can you help me out, my friend? Because when I read books like you, but not at your rate, I read these books and then the sauna starts getting really, really hot and the pages start getting soggy. Have you got any hacks for that? <laughs> well, having two towels in the sauna is helpful. <laughs> I actually forgot the towel yesterday and I just couldn't open my eyes. The Crisis. Whole second Crisis. Yeah, yeah. No, awesome. Awesome. And then um, let's move on to more mental models. So you talked about 80-20. What are some of the yep. other ones that you find are the most powerful that have shifted you and got you to where you are now? Yeah, really good question. So I find positive feedback loops really interesting. Mm. And I find that when it comes to learning, an underappreciated thing is that, okay, so I'll just share my, the model of learning and the model of learning, whether it's an AI intelligence, a human or a rabbit, it's actually very similar. You have to first take in data and you can, as a human, we can take it in from other people, just observing people. We automatically, we're built to automatically do it. Information from reading and just our own experiences. Then we have to process that data in some way. It could be reflecting about on it, putting in our own words, also being aware of our cognitive biases. So there's the processing of the data and computers of the algorithms. And then there's 
experimentation. So we take that, the things we've learned theoretically and apply them in the world and see what happens. And then, uh, experimentation is very different than action because you're really, you're not just acting to, to do something. You're actually acting to collect information so you could see what works and what doesn't or, you know, make small changes. And then the fourth step is feedback. So you're collecting, you know, so as a salesperson, it could be, you know, let's say you're experimenting with, it could be, you know, bringing a certain type of energy, having a certain type of script, you know, whatever it is that you're experimenting and just noticing differences, but it's hard to notice sometimes differences if you just have things back to back spread out over time, because you forget all the details about what happened versus if you have a dashboard where you can just know, you can look at these subtle changes over time Yeah, is one way. And so there's ways that we can think about how to collect better feedback and have a better feedback loop. And I found that really helpful. So for example, you want to make sure you're getting the feedback from the right people. You want to, uh, ideally not have a long delay between doing the thing and having the feedback loop. It's kind of like a faucet. If you turn on the faucet and it takes, uh, and it takes, it's really cold at first. So then you turn it, it takes a while to turn. So you just turn it all the other way and that's really hot. So you're, you're in this seesaw pattern. Uh, so those are some examples of. Yeah. And a faucet could what? be a tap or a shower for us uh, Antipodeans down here. Um, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's around those feedback loops. And you, and I think uh, your assistant Ian was very, very good when you trained us around. You would title test, wouldn't you? You would actually uh, take titles, take images, and you've you've got a system, obviously, which you teach is that you can get, you can create, you can teach people how to create blockbuster content by testing different data sets and getting that feedback loop, and you can test it real fast. Because the thing is, like you say, the experimentation phase, I think people skip that. And they go straight into, I've just got to get some content out. I've got to put something out because I've got to keep my LinkedIn profile, the algorithms fed, or I've got to put something on my social media business page. But the reality, the, the intent is they're, they're not using, I mean, social media and digital is just built for feedback loops because we can we can measure almost everything, right? Yeah, exactly. It can be really hard to know why something works. Like say you're doing a sales meeting and you try, like, is it, okay, you just were in a good mood that day. Is it what you're wearing? Or there's so many different factors. And similar with the writing, you write an article, it does really well. Is it the title, the image? Is it the idea? It's actually really hard to know. Mm -hmm. And it's even hard for the reader to know. So because there's so many variables. So one thing to do here is just to get cleaner feedback is to just narrow down the variables. And so that's what we've done with title testing where we've tested different titles on Facebook, targeted at our target market, and then looking at their performance by the click-through rate. Because when people are reading an article in their newsfeed, they're just, oh, they're, they're not even seeing the article. They're just seeing the title and the image. That's the first layer of competition. So most people spend you know years developing an expertise in something and then months trying to share their expertise. But then when it comes to actually thinking about okay, the titles and the images, they spend minutes doing that, even though that's the very first thing that people see. Absolutely. This, this is gold. Now, Michael, conscious of time, but I, you know, I know we'll, we'll have to go soon, but 
what are the domains that you're currently learning that you really, really love that you're super fascinated? Like you have an 80-20. There's so many things you you talk about how to learn, learning how to learn, habits, productivity, energy management, time management, um, biology. What are the ones that you really fizz on? What's the ones that you, what's your 80-20 of learning? Yeah, well, I would say we have this mental model club, which we've talked about, where that was really thinking about what are the average person who's a professional, what are the 80-20 mental models? And so it reflects that. And a good way of thinking about it is what are the things that you do every day? You know, what's the model for how that happens? What's the model for what causes you to be productive or, like you said, uh, have energy or learn? And by having a model and consciously improving it, that is a great place to start because if you're using it every day and you're going to live you know, many thousands of days into the future, then if you make a small improvement, that improvement, you're going to get that for thousands of more days. So there's yeah. a, an obvious return, which Massive is very different than you learn something just in case. You might need it in five years, but then you don't even ever apply it. The nice thing with using that is that you know you're going to use it. Yeah, uh, yeah, massive payback. It's got such a long, an annualized, not an annual one-off payback. So like you say, it's going to make a huge, huge impact. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested in the hero's journey right now, personally. Mm. Uh, just because the more I've learned about it, the more I feel like it's a, it's a great mental model of our psyche. Mm. Could you could you, for listeners, could you for listeners that aren't aware of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, could you, again, in layman's terms, outline that mental model for people? Yeah, Joseph uh, Campbell was a comparative mythologist, mythologist who basically <laughs> studies myths of cultures across the world and throughout history. And he found that there's one, cult, one myth that was repeated in every single culture ever of humans they've independently come up with this same similar story format which is kind of crazy so uh, and a lot of times when movies are really successful like you see underlying it's the same you know hero's journey format and so the hero's journey the more complex version i think has 17 stages but you know the more simple version has four stages where you know you're living as a normal world you're trying to find your place conventional wisdom and then there's a a call to adventure either could be internal or external that you just feel like you're different in some way and that you're feeling you want to do something different. So for me, even becoming an entrepreneur was a huge thing because no one else in their entire high school was an entrepreneur. So it was this huge Mm. kind of leap of faith. Other people didn't have that as a reference experience, so they couldn't really relate to it at all. So trying to just go for a leap of faith there. So a lot of times there's, you know, there's that tension of people refusing the call to adventure, but still being pulled in that direction. Mm. Then uh, there's the next step is kind of the trials and tribulations phase. Is you're, it's a lot of times the symbolism of it is going to a forest is one thing, or going to a cave, or you're on an island, and the island is kind of your known world, and you can see the horizon of the ocean, but you don't really know what's beyond it. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, you have challenges, you're not sure, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and there's mm. parts where you want to turn back. And there's, you know, the turning point is when you really uh, start to really understand this new world and it, it awakens a transformation within yourself. 
So you get the treasures of from that, the rewards of it externally, and then internally transformation. So transformation and treasures, treasures. And then the final part is the return. And mm. so, you know, do you return to your the world where you came? And it can be really hard because to not go back into old ways. So there's a tension mm. there. And mm. also you the opportunity is to share what you've learned with others and be a, a thought leader in a way with mm. this, so that your the lessons from your journey become the communities. But it's also really hard to do that. How do you make it yourself not sound crazy? And so that's where there's <laughs> skill skills in how to mm. do that. But those are the four yeah. steps. But it's a helpful decision-making framework because sometimes, you know, one way of making decisions is weighing out all the pros and cons and what's the expected return. But another way of doing it is asking what type of life do you want to live? And the, the following the hero's journey is doing things sometimes where you, you you don't even know the pros and cons. You don't even know enough about it, but you're interested in seeing the type of person that you'll become from it. Massive. And so it's kind of like a making a decision to be a hero in your life in a way. That's really nice, Michael. Really nice because uh, you, you know, when I started my own business and left a very high paying job six, seven years ago now, it was a hell of a jump, you know, and there was definitely, you know, I had a normalized safe salary every on the 20th of each month and then the cool arms is i felt there was something lacking in my learning and they always say a principal is only a principal if it costs you money so i left a very very high paying job and literally jumped off a skyscraper to a bungalow as an equivalent kind of metaphor <laughs> and then i went through the trials and tribulations of getting clients and creating content and building lists and all the things in the marketing all the stuff that you've taught me and other coaches and then and then returning now and starting to share my own journey which i'm still on and some of the things and trying to work at a higher level i loved also what you said about the dual tracking in terms of making time to learn is to hang out with people who love to learn you know and the whole concept of mastermind you know what was it was it tolkien and or was it um far harvey fast to s lewis and henry ford they used to hang out as a mastermind like, can you imagine? Can you freaking imagine what that would be like, what they'd be talking about? So it's it's amazing. So, Michael, I'm conscious of, there's lots I'm going to put in the show notes because there's just so much we can <laughs> learn from dudes like you, and we'll put we'll put plenty. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, what are you working on right now? What's some of the projects you're working on right now? Who are you working with? Tell us what you're up to. Yeah, so the biggest thing I'm working on is just continuing to write more articles and for to do that. And uh, to continue on our Thought Leader School, uh, we haven't officially launched the website yet, but everything we're putting under everything under help people who you know have something to say but want to learn how to share it and master that skill to to do that and really focus on uh, the mastery of it. That it's it's a complicated skill, and rather than just okay, an eight week course and you're done. It's a year long program for people who want to really master it. Who are you following? Who 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 do you follow? I know you're a massive Ray Dalio fan. You're a Charlie Munger fan. Uh, they feature heavily in some of your articles. Uh, you know, not not all of them. But who are the people you respect, to admire, follow, listen to the most, Michael? Who's your go-to people? Your eighty twenty of people of your environmental design. Well, I will say that what I try to do is find people 
in whatever I'm trying to learn who are successful, like at a very high level over time. And I'm trying to find out people who are successful because of luck or they happen to be in the right industry at the right time. And so if I apply their knowledge, it's not really going to make that difference. I found when I really, really narrow it down, there's actually very few people who are kind of at that world-class level consistently over time. And then uh, I do everything I can to learn from them. I really liked investing for a long time. I feel like I'm focusing a little bit less on it now just because I've spent so much time on it. But yeah. people who've been incredibly, you know, started from nothing, became multi-billionaires from investing and able to succeed in up markets and down markets. The reason I find investors interesting is because we're all investing. We're all making bets of our time and we're trying to get certain types of payback. We're taking risks. So they have, you know, that's their business. They think about how to balance yeah. the risk and rewards for yeah. that. So in that, it's like Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett. Nassim Taleb, Charlie Munger, people like that have been really attractive. And they also happen to be really good teachers and explainers. I'm kind of on a little bit more of an internal journey the past half year. So Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, I'm really interested right now. Yeah. Awesome. What are you learning on that internal journey, Michael? What's, What's happening? What are you picking up? I feel like that would be a whole other podcast. We'll get you back. We'll get you back. I'm still my friend. learning about it. We might have <laughs> to do a part like, two. I feel like for me, I'll just say more of the impetus was that, you know, I feel like I've gotten to a certain level of health. Like I have my health yeah. routines. Like I can't do that much more. I mean, I have it make a real big difference in certain like relationship and kids and, yeah. and, you know, career. But I felt like, okay, there's just the internal world that, no matter yeah. how well I do in those areas, if I'm not, I'm not able to control my emotions or able to enjoy what, it, no matter what's happening, then, so that's where I just realized there's a whole huge area of the internal that I just haven't put as much time on. Yeah. We'll get you back for that. If you, if you're keen, I will say I'm on a similar journey in some regards and some of the challenges I've faced in the last couple of years is they always say the hardest work is the inner work. Yeah. You know? And sitting, and sitting in your own pain, right? You know, and you're highly, highly successful in turn, uh, externally in terms of what you create in the businesses and the community and the following and thought leadership and the best-selling articles and books. But, like, if internally that isn't aligned, you, in, in, that's, that's the big one, and we'll, we'll go there another day. Michael, a couple more questions. What does it mean to be world-class for you? Lots of people bandy this term around, like, world-class. What does world-class mean? mean to you how do you define it yeah i think about two ways there's the external way which is in the area that you're in you are one of the best people in the world i think that part's pretty easy i think there's an internally part which i really resonate with of just you someone who falls in love with a mastery process Mm. and i admire really long performers you know you can take it in sports like people like roger federer or lebron james because it takes one thing to succeed at something and like reach the height of it. But at, you know, everyone says it's harder to maintain that. So and in order to maintain that, you know, I feel like there's an internal love of the game yeah. that you have that are associated with masters and being world-class. And so really try to cultivate that as well. Yeah. I love that point of mastery, that mastery and, and focusing on long-term performance, not just a one hit wonder. 
Michael, a couple more. Uh, best books you've ever read? That's I know that's such a hard question because you've got <laughs> so many. But like you're, if you were like, if in this context of sales and sales psychology and negotiation, persuasion, influence, performance, productivity, what are the kind of best books you've read? The ones that have really yeah. made a lot yeah. impression on you. Yeah, I'd say with productivity, I'd say the one thing was really good. Yeah, Gary um, Keller. Yeah, it's just a very simple premise, and he's coming from a sales field, but you know, just focus. It. What's the one thing that you could do today that would make everything else easier? Kind of like a domino, mm. and mm. then just start your day on that. Eliminate everything from your morning, except mm. except that. Like it's really really simple, but really effective mm. uh, for creativity i really like where good ideas come from by stephen johnson yes yeah and you know for mental models i do like poor charlie's almanac although it yeah. is it's like a hundred dollars and you know you <laughs> drop it on your cat you know that cat the cat's dead. after that cat is gone <laughs> cat is gone um what do you go to podcasts what's what you listen to at the moment michael I like for enjoyment. I like a lot of comedy podcasts, uh, I would say. And then I'm actually going through an interesting thing right now where I've just unsubscribed from all podcasts. Mm. And instead, I try to look for like, because the negative of podcasts, I would say, you know, I I feel like it goes without saying all the benefits of podcasts. The negative is that it's just going to show you the most recent podcast of the person or yeah. me as a learner, I don't want the most recent, I want the best podcast that's ever been done. Yes. So that's the what I do now is I look for those best podcasts and then I queue them up in my podcast player. So when I load it, I'm not greeted by the newest one. Cause it's really hard to beat those defaults, but yeah. I just greeted by, okay, here are the curated lists that I think are the best. I'm not doing that thinking when I open the app. And what's the filter that you use on your app to do that on Apple? You're, you're using Apple or using Spotify or what do you use to manage? Your- I, I actually deleted the Apple one or at least hit it and then deleted the Spotify one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and as I found those distracting or they would show here are the most popular podcasts on the platform. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard not to default to that. There's a reason we, we're attracted to new and popular things. So uh, there, I use that app called Snipped, S-N-I-P-D. And also Castro, C-A-S-T-R-O. Yep. Good, good. And those are great because they they each have queuing. They have really good queuing functions. So you can organize them in a a certain order. Yeah, and and I think the point you're making to the listeners is that you're looking for podcasts that are the best and the most followed and the most engaged with not the newest and as you know because the thing is we can always always attract ourselves to the shiny stuff right but the shiny stuff doesn't sometimes move move what we need to last two questions michael because it's getting either it's getting dark or there's uh, a power cut in your place <laughs> yeah let me, um, it's getting dark. no no i appreciate it is what about um in terms of um Something that you used to believe in that you've changed your mind on? I feel like there's so many different things because I'm actually sorting for my learning by looking for my most fundamental beliefs and then mm. challenging them. Because mm. if, you know, if you can change something that's fundamental, that's not true, then 
it can mm. lead to a ricochet throughout your entire life. So <laughs> I feel like I'm not the best person. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a hard one. I know that I dropped that one on you hard. Let me try another bit. The best and worst advice you've ever been given. Okay, best and worst advice. Uh, sorry, my son. I don't know if you could hear it in the head. Hopefully the headphones were good enough to cancel the, the, the noise. No, best I can't and worst it. advice. Okay, these are tough. These are tough questions. You're saving the tough ones for, <laughs> for the ending here. Work, my friend. Let's start with I'll, worst. I'll say something. I'll say something. Oh, this is more just a general change. I feel like sure. I've had, but I've I've just really seen over time it's really better to understand myself and my own unique motivations and mm. make things around that. Versus I feel like before I was purely just going off of, okay, here's what works for other people and trying to make it work for me, but I have a whole different motivation system and way of being that led to I I could know the best thing, but I wasn't consistently following through on. So yeah. That's a, that's one big thing that I've, I've changed. Good. Worst advice you've ever been given? Business advice, sales advice, marketing advice, like something you're like, okay. oh, that's so wrong. Well, I feel like the, you know, with content, you know, the people are always, when I started doing Blockbuster, you know, I went to some experts and some of them did say like, you're just wasting your time. Go mm. and put this extra time into content because mm. it's, it's not going to pay off. Interesting. So, I think they're wrong. Yeah, I'd say so. I think you proved them (laughs) quite wrong. Quite wrong. No, awesome, Michael. Look, we're coming up to the hour, and I'm incredibly grateful for your time and and hanging out. Michael, where should we send people who like the way you're thinking and like the way that you're learning and what you do? What's the best place to send them? We'll put them in the show notes. For now, I'd say our best place is just Medium, and then I'm Michael D. Simmons. And then yeah. at some point we'll have thoughtleader.school. That will be uh, a website where we have just information about all our programs and things like that. Cool. We can update that. And what about mental models club? Are you still want to? Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mentalmodelclub.com. It's $1 Brilliant. to try it. $20 per month. So it's really cheap. We have over 50 manuals where each manual is about 10,000 words. They try to have lots of visuals and put a lot of that represents, you know, many thousands of hours and you can get it for, yeah. $20 per month. So I honestly, it is, it is an excellent deal. I couldn't recommend that enough. I've subscribed to that for years. I haven't kept up all the manuals, but a lot of them, Michael, I, you do great work, my man. Thank you so much for coming on to, to my show and for inspiring me over the last years or almost decade. Uh, your five hour rule of deliberate learning five hours, honestly has made such a difference to my life. Huge, huge impact. And like you, I'm a few years older, but I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of internal work for me to happen now. Like you, like you, you, you probably got there quicker just because of your trajectory and, and, and your intellect. But you know, understanding that it's all very well to like these external factors and investment and entrepreneurship and business and success, but aligning it with yourself is so so important. I've I've been very fortunate to have guests on the show that cover that internal side as well. So, Michael. Hugely grateful, my man. So good to talk to you again. And um, keep up the sauna work. Remember, two <laughs> towels. Two towels, my man. 
and <laughs> two towels, uh, if nothing else, just remember that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we'd love for the whole podcast. Take two towels into the store if you're reading books. So, <laughs> Michael, hugely grateful, mate. Um, legend. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you so much, Sanjay. This was amazing. I, I feel like we're kindred spirits. Thank you for having me on. Your absolute pleasure, my man. Talk soon. Hey, you. Hope you enjoyed that episode and you learned lots from it. It takes a wee bit of work to get these wonderful guests onto the show who share their knowledge with you freely and generously. So it kind of makes sense for me to ask you a tiny, tiny, small favor in return, and that is to ask you to rate, follow, subscribe, or share this podcast whenever you get time with friends, family members, colleagues, neighbors, or anyone in your network you think might benefit from it. The reason for my request here is a simple one, and it's because I'm on a mission. And that mission is to elevate and improve the world's perception of rural sales reps by sharing more effective sales and marketing strategies so we get you and them the results and respect that you all deserve. The thing is, I can only do that when you can help me get this podcast out to a bigger audience. And that's the reason, the whole reason I created this podcast in the first place, which is to help you guys. So as you know, I've got nothing to sell you here. I don't include any of those annoying ads that affect your listening and learning experience. So I just want to thank you for sharing the show. And more importantly, thank you for investing your time with me. Appreciate it and appreciate you. 